Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast, where we explore the exciting science behind heart rate variability. The material discussed in this podcast should not be taken as medical advice. Please check with your medical provider to make sure any suggestions or strategies are right for you. Visit us at the OptimalHRV.com website to learn more about the Optimal HRV app, download a free copy of Matt's book, Heart Rate Variability, and also get show notes and additional resources around heart rate variability and its applications. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am here with Dr. Dave Hopper today, uh, who I have met in person now. So uh, uh, we uh, spent last week at the AP, well, well, uh, AAPB conference, uh, biofeedback conference in Irving, Texas. Uh, and so I got to meet Dave in person, kind of odd thinking of someone as a good friend and then uh, uh, getting to meet them and hanging out with them at the booth all week. Uh, uh, so, uh, Dave, it was great to meet you in person. Uh, I would love just to start out because we're going to talk about a presentation you did. But I know you and I were a little bit out of our element, so to speak. Uh, I think we felt really, well, I know, I think I can speak for both of us, felt really welcomed uh, by the conference. Uh, always when you have a booth, there's, you know, are you just here to sell me things? And I think that that took like five minutes getting to know people to kind of shake that off and, and just feel welcome. And um, I would just love, as we walked into the biofeedback world, uh, my first time for sure at the conference, I know yours as well. I would just like, what was the chiropractic experience? What was sort of your experience uh, walking into this new environment? Well, uh, well, first of all, it was, it was awesome to meet you in person for the first time too. I, as I, as my wife and I joked, you, you guys are real people. Yes. <laughs> um, that, was, that was a relief. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that was, uh, that was a lot of fun and very cool um, to, to see how well the whole team actually clicked in real, in real life. Um, but, um, but as far as the conference, um, it was, it was great. Um, you know, I have to say the psychology and biofeedback uh, world they are great people. Um, I couldn't have felt more welcome. I, I, I imagine you felt the same way. Um, and there was no, oh, wait, you're not one of us <laughs> kind of feeling at all. Uh, they welcomed us in with open arms. And I absolutely loved that. Um, and, it, you know, just the, the conversations that we got to have and the uh, further invitations that we got as a result uh, of being there, um, you know, really says how much, uh, how much it was mutual, the feeling of, uh, of good vibrations. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were joking around, uh, Ina is probably asleep still. Uh, uh, she as as a member of our team, boy, I think I was just glowing with pride to be associated, uh, with, uh, Dr. Hazan, uh, at that conference. Not only did she give the keynote and, uh, uh, I, I think I can talk to you pretty safely here. We were both incredibly honored uh, to co-present with her uh, on workshops. And uh, so, so we gave her this week just really to sleep because uh, she was on uh, 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 probably six days straight. And this conference was no joke because they started like 8.30 and went to 
about 10 o'clock each and every night. So I know I was exhausted. I know you were exhausted. So I can't imagine how, how she was um, as well. But it was really great to, you know, as, as we, I know, uh, have just just fallen in love and respect uh, Ina to death uh, to, to, to even learn more from her um, at this conference as well. So that was one of my real joys uh, last week too. Absolutely. Uh, seeing how people uh, react to her was really cool. Um, and yeah, like you said, I can only imagine her exhaustion. I think she spoke at least once every day, if yes, not yeah. uh, multiple times. <laughs> so yeah, she was, she was a very busy lady at this conference. So Absolutely. Well, one of the um, reasons why she was busy is because uh, you all did an amazing presentation. Um, you know, probably my, my favorite 90 minutes of, of the entire conference uh, on uh, heart rate variability, biofeedback, and pain. And I, I thought one is you and uh, your, your third presenter, which I know you'll mention as well. Um, one thing, uh, you can't have a great workshop really without people that will keep you awake. And boy, all three of you were uh, great presenters. Uh, and so both engaging, but uh, really fascinating uh, from the different perspectives uh, that you had around this issue. So um, I just kind of want to turn it over to you to maybe introduce the topic a little bit better than, than I can, but uh, maybe talk about uh, a little bit about the presentation. And, and uh, I'd love to follow up on this topic uh, with you. So sort of introduce uh, what you talked about, who was there, and then uh, I got some follow-ups. Okay. Well, um, well, to begin, it was uh, myself. Uh, then there was Dr. Brad Lichtenstein, who is a naturopathic doctor. Um, he spoke alongside me. Uh, I, and then also there was uh, Dr. Ina Kazan. Um, and so we all talked about our different views on chronic pain mm -hmm. and how we approach chronic pain using heart rate variability. Um, that was the, you know, that, that was what our talk was about. Um, so I, I'm not going to speak on their views exactly because uh, because uh, we would love to have both of them on uh, and talk about it themselves at one point. Um, but I I would be more than happy to talk about uh, the chiropractic view and how I use heart rate variability and biofeedback uh, awesome. for treating the chronic pain. So, so let, let me, uh, one of the fascinating uh, things that, that uh, and I paid a lot of attention to this because I deal a lot with psychological pain and I don't think anybody in the psychology world would argue that often manifests as other sort of physical pain. So and let me, let me start out with what seemed like a really dumb question, but I think it's a little bit more complex than a lot of people think. What is pain? <laughs> oh well <laughs> that's a, so easy that, right <laughs> yes yeah, quite quite the complex question indeed yeah. um because that's going to be a totally different experience for each one of us uh yeah. what what you consider painful i might consider pleasurable uh what what you consider painful i might not even notice um it is 100% a subjective experience for each of us. And that's where it does get into the psychology of it. Um, and as well, where we can say, you know, um, you know, as I talked about um, a lot in my presentation, um, where we can't always use pain as our sole guide uh, to how we want to treat a patient, because uh, it is 
it is not a reliable uh, indicator in most scenarios. And talk a little bit about that, because I, I mean, there has been, um, well, there's been a push by big pharma over the last decade or so to include pain as a vital uh, sign. And uh, boy, did that get us in a lot of trouble uh, and was uh, part of the <laughs> mess we found ourselves in and the horrifying situation with the opiate epidemic. So on one hand, uh, you had big pharma pushing pain as a vital sign right up there with heart rate and blood pressure and weight and so on and so forth. And here you come in and say it's subjective. So I, I think a lot of us have been sold on, no, pain is something we can scale and that's a scientific measure. So, so from your perspective as, as, a, as a medical provider, uh, you're, you're telling me, no, that that's, that's pretty subjective. So I'm assuming you're not probably saying, you know, uh, using it as kind of that vital sign in that way, but, but how do you approach this? Because I imagine, uh, when, when I go to a chiropractor, one of the reasons I do is because of pain. So, uh, so thank you. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it is, uh, it is a very sad case to let pain be your guide uh, for, for much of anything. Um, cause pain, just like, uh, you know, if your stomach hurts, whether you have a headache, anything like that, um, it's an indication that something is, is not right, but that's all it is. Um, so when we look at, when we pull back and say, okay, well, what, what exactly is pain telling us? Well, first of all, it's telling us, you know, say you broke your arm it's saying, Hey, don't use that arm anymore. <laughs> you know, in that case, it's a great thing because, because uh, what do we know? If we want our arm to heal, we have to not use it. Mm -hmm. um, so in that case, pain is doing us some, some wonderful favors. Um, you know, same with a, a stomach ache. If, if you have pain after you ate something, it's saying, don't eat that again. Right. <laughs> um, you know, this, this is a problem here or, or figure out what else, uh, you know, could have been going on. Mm -hmm. And that is the, the biggest thing when I have a patient come in who is in pain or has been in pain, um, I, always, I always say, okay, so pain is something that we have going on here, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? So, um, so pain is going, to be, is going to be one of those symptoms and symptoms are the last thing to show up with a problem and the first thing to go away with a problem. Mm -hmm. And when we look at it with that perspective, we go, okay, well then what is the real problem? Where is the rest of that iceberg? So now we're, now we're going to look for the root cause. And, um, and, you know, when we were talking about stomach aches, when we were talking about headaches, um, you know, how are we going to figure that out? And that's where, that's where really talking to our patients, really getting to know our patients, really getting to understand their entire lifestyle mm -hmm. is going to help us understand why they are actually in this discomfort. Um, we can't just say, well, your stomach hurts here, uh, you know, take this to cover up the pain. Yeah. Well, then you're going to continue hurting yourself in the same way. You have headaches every single day here. Take, you know, I, whatever non-steroidal anti-inflammatory that you're going to, that you're going to take to cover up this headache. And you know what? That's not really going to get you anywhere. It's going to get you on a cycle of taking those NSAIDs every single day at the same time. And you're going to end up with very damaged internal organs, unfortunately, as a result of that. Um, so that's where I'm looking at this. I'm saying pain is just, just that 
check engine light beginning to flash. And now we have to go in with our diagnostic equipment and figure out exactly where this problem is. Interesting. So, so I just kind of want to throw the psychological pain in here because I think that that's an interesting transition into talking about the heart rate variability piece of this, because, you know, one of the, the functions of trauma is to kind of help you not get into that situation again. And that's, that is one of a very complex issues. But if I realize that, let's say I have medical trauma, so I go in for a procedure and uh, maybe my uh, surgeon thinks I'm backed out, but I'm, I'm experiencing it and I have that trauma. I may, uh, the trauma is helping me say medical providers uh, can be a source of pain and suffering. I need to avoid them from now on, which uh, can also get us in trouble. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about, you know, trauma as well is, you know, that, that uh, self-medication too. Now, sometimes that turns into drinking or, or drugs to help uh, medicate the pain because a lot of times for psychological pain, you know, and, uh, you know, one of those uh, painkillers, which we uh, are learning more and more about that we should minimize uh, as best as possible. Talk to your medical provider. Um, but, but is, is kind of that avoided thing. So in psychology, you know, there, there's a real easy connection between uh, pain uh, and heart rate variability because Pain is very, very easily uh, connected to stress um, and even traumatic stress. And obviously, we know stress impacts sympathetic, ventral vagal, parasympathetic uh, functioning. So let's say I, I, I got a bad ankle sprain. So, you know, as a basketball player, that was something I was always dealing with. I've got pain there. And I kind of wonder how you see you know, that connection like we do in psychology of psychological pain is a stressor. How do you start to see, like, I, I, I did do something to my ankle. Um, how do you start to see this and how do you use heart rate variability to, to look at both, may, maybe from an assessment, but also from a healing perspective as well? Well, I, you know, excellent point, uh, because there is, you know, obviously there is the psychological uh, pain and the psychological fear um, that, that come along with these things um, that can be just as real, um, you know, and after all, that's really all that matters is what is real to the patient in front of you. Um, and, uh, and anyway, what we would see uh, regardless is we're going to see their heart rate variability change quite a bit. Now, if we have data on a patient uh, leading up to this, leading up to whether it be an injury or an emotional trauma, um, you know, or anything like that, uh, we're going to see that their heart rate variability, heart rate variability changes. And of course, this is going to be for the worse, right? We're going to see that score lower um, because now rather than, you know, I, being in that outright, I'm in my safe environment, uh, you're pulling back, uh, you're pulling out of that ventral vagal state into that dorsal vagal state. Um, and I, uh, you know, I talked about this in my, um, in my presentation as well, I, I used a case with a guy who had a, um, who was in a motor vehicle accident and, um, and he suffered severe migraines thereafter. And, uh, and that was the biggest thing was, uh, you know, I, Matt, I believe uh, you would recall his, he had super, uh, super tight muscles through his neck and into his skull. Mm -hmm. And like I said, nobody ever told those muscles that he was safe. 
Yeah. Nobody ever told those muscles that they could relax and stop doing their job of protecting. And, and that is why this guy suffered with migraines for as long as he did. And, um, and I, I got, I got to break in there for a second. Cause I yeah. did interrupt you during the presentation, even though I really wanted to, it just would have, I, I wanted, I, it was more for me than, than anybody else. But you know, when you said that, I, I, I just like, Yes, because one of the things we talk about with trauma, which I think is sometimes hard to discuss because it doesn't always uh, show up as a physical injury like like you were talking about, but we talk about untreated trauma and it sounds like the accident probably was psychologically traumatic for the individual. When you looked at all those symptoms, I'm like, yeah, yeah, those are those are what we see with uh you know, the, the psychological trauma, obviously with an accident, there was probably some physical things, but we talk about trauma before treatment is still happening in the body. You know, it's still happening to the nervous system. And so when you said it was, it was really, it was still happening to him. He was still almost in the accident. And I just thought that that was such a cool thing to connect when we talk about the psychological symptoms, and we know those manifest physically as well, and have paid a lot of attention to that, I was like, oh, Dave just kind of really hit it out of the park of, uh, you're seeing that from a chiropractic, you know, examination assessment, uh, but just so perfectly mirrors uh, what we talk about psychologically as well. Well, yes, because they are, they are one and the same. Um, you know, uh, just because we're not talking about, you know, his brain reliving the experience, his body is yeah, reliving the yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, and those things are stuck in our body just as much as they can be stuck in our brain. Yes. So even though he may consciously be like, yeah, it was a car accident. It's no big deal. His body is still living in that moment. Um, and we can see that because we can palpate those muscles and, <laughs> and yeah. say, yep, <laughs> yep. There, there it is. <laughs> yeah. And then looking at his heart rate variability, you know, his uh, daily readings were, you know, as, as a metric, we don't like to use much, but it's just uh, curiosity uh, started out well, well below, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, population norms, but not sort of uh, for somebody that was active in their life, uh, owning, I believe, a martial arts gym, if I'm remembering correctly, you know, somebody that was really active that you would expect just on paper maybe a few years back was probably outperforming population norms had a really strong heart rate variability. I mean, that's a, that's a, a guess looking at, you know, pre-accident lifestyle versus post-accident. Um, but, but you could actually see that in some of his baseline data. Yes. And that's a, you know, in a, in a perfect world, everybody would have been measuring their baseline HRV for months prior to their trauma. <laughs> if only everything was set up like a study. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately we don't know what he was before, um, but yeah. I am, uh, I'm in a fortunate situation where, um, where at my office, I get to, I get to put people on an HRV monitor for at least a week prior to me seeing them. Yeah. Um, and and that provides me a ton of information because here's the thing. If, if Matt comes into my office today and he says that he's in all this pain and, you know, and whatnot, um, and I get an HRV measurement of him today and then I treat him today, uh, you yeah. know, then how did my treatment affect that next week of his, uh, of his heart rate variability reading? So we wouldn't have a true baseline. 
So in this case, we have, you know, of course, an estimated true baseline um, of where they are at in their, you know, injured uh, physically or psychological, uh, you know, or psychological injured uh, state where they are at. And then when we begin our treatment, we can really start to see how our treatment is affecting change within this person's nervous system. Mm -hmm. And, and that is the big picture. So we know, uh, like you said, he was in the low twenties. Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't doing hot. Uh, and then when he started a, a new therapy with me and we were doing, uh, you know, like I said, I treat from a whole human perspective. So, um, so we're not just doing one modality here. We're looking at this guy's entire lifestyle. And this is for every patient. We're looking at their entire lifestyle and taking everything into account because it all matters yeah. because when it comes to your nervous system, um, there is not just one part of your life that matters. Right. Uh, just because you're getting headaches or, um, you know, whatever it may be, that's not the only thing that matters to your to your nervous system. Uh, in yeah. fact, it's measuring everything that happens yes. in your life. So if you're having headaches, but you're eating horrible food and you're not sleeping great and you breathe through your mouth, say, um, you know, and I. Uh, and you don't exercise or, you know, or do any form of movement. Um, okay. Well then we're just, we're just doing one little thing here, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and man, there's a lot of hay on your back. So, mm -hmm. so to take off the one straw, it's not going to help much. Right. Um, that's where we have to approach every patient with this multimodal, um, you know, multimodal treatment plan. So, um, anyway, what we can see looking at his heart rate variability, and, and this is something I do with, uh, nearly every patient is now we have, now we have a measurement of how that's working. Yeah. Um, so I can see on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, how this treatment plan is working. And I can start to say, look at that. We are affecting positive change within your nervous system. And, uh, and a, a quick disclaimer there, um, it, when you start something new, it is a strain on you, whether yeah. it is great for you or horrible for you, it <laughs> is a strain nonetheless. Yes. Um, so in a lot of cases, you will see an initial dip. Um, and that's where the subjective experience comes in. Uh, you know, okay, yes, your heart rate variability went down, but are you feeling better? Yeah. Um, you know, and are we seeing other positive improvements from other objective measures um, and other subjective measures? Um, that's where we can rely on that. Um, and then we start to really see that kick back up and go in the, and go in the positive direction. Mm -hmm. um, and then throughout care, we use that as our guide. Uh, we use HRV as, as our primary guide. And what we're doing is we know that if, you know, if, if Matt came in and we're seeing him trend in the positive direction, and then all of a sudden Matt starts to dip yeah. and we go, oh no, what happened? And then we can start to look, we can start to question that. And, you know, and it, well, what, what did Matt, what it was Matt tagging on his readings as that was happening. Um, if we have Matt journaling in, in some way, uh, what was going on in life? You know, what can we recall from that, that started to push Matt in a negative trend mm -hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. But in life was happening. If all of a sudden we see you really start to take off in a positive trend, you know, um, more so than what we would expect what's going on there. Because we want to know so that we can, we can adapt our therapies in whatever way to help maintain a positive trend or, you know, pull you out of a negative trend.
Yeah. So, so with your, you know, it's, it's interesting is, is one of the things, um, and this is somatic therapy that um, really comes from, you know, and I think this fits really well with the heart rate variability science. So it is, you know, in psychology, we have emerging best practices, and then you sort of hit a level where you're a best practice. There's enough, there's enough data, there's enough track record there. And somatic therapy is sort of, you know, hit that best practice uh, level. And, and we, we talk a lot about that. And I would love to get your perspective um, on this with this, this case specifically, is that if, if you're in a spot where you can't act out the fight or flight response, like, like that is one way we hold trauma inside of us. Like you, you weren't able to act out, you weren't able to kind of uh, uh, do anything to release that. Uh, there's uh, a great saying in neurobiology that zebras don't get ulcers uh, because mm -hmm. the stress of the zebra is a lion trying to eat the zebra. Well, what's happening during the potentially traumatic experience is the zebra has activated the flight response. So when the zebra escapes the tiger, um, you know, they've kind of burned off that. So, so they can really then go back to regulation because they already got that. And I wonder just kind of, that's the language we've been using. And so some of the somatic therapy is sort of acting out, well, not sort of, it's acting out what, what you would have liked to have done. So if you were stuck in the car to almost to do it and do it like vigorously to, to activate that, maybe ju jumping up and down where the shoulders are really moving while, while you're kind of recalling some of those experiences. And I just kind of wondered as you look at this case um it sounded like that was some that you were helping through chiropractic care too and probably stretching and other things as well sort of helping to almost release that trauma uh both physically and psychologically and measuring that with heart rate variability um you know what matt i i really appreciate that because i I have never really looked at it from that lens. Um, so I, I love that perspective. And I am, I'm sure you've read the book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Yeah. Um, awesome book. Um, but, I, but to look at it through that lens is, is totally different. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, can we say that that's, you know, in a way what I was doing? Well, absolutely. Um, but I've never looked at it that way. Uh, so, so I, I greatly appreciate that. Uh, it's another, you know, um, and that was, you know, for all the listeners here, that was the power of being at a psychology conference yes. presenting about what I do is at the end, um, you know, I had, uh, I had one of the, uh, one of the top researchers in the field uh, actually stand up and make a suggestion to me in relation to a type of therapy uh, that I was doing and how a breathing technique could help with that. Um, and, and that was so cool because again, it was, it was something that I would have never even considered because through, through my lens, I haven't seen that yeah. And through my schooling. It's not something that I would have run across. And that's the power of an interdisciplinary, uh, interdisciplinary practice yeah. and, uh, and sharing ideas with other professionals uh, is that you do get this, uh, this other, oh, wow. And your mind yeah. just expanded. Um, so, so thank you so much for that, Matt. Uh, awesome. That, well, well, that was sort of my follow-up because right after you, uh, Ina took the stage and talked, uh, you know, sort of about how biofeedback 
Um, and again, I think this kind of sets how we look at pain is how breathing does help with pain. Uh, you know, whether it's pain you're going to experience and there's repraisal and, you know, mindset and a lot of other stuff as we try to torture people ethically during research studies, which I, which I always think is like, hey, your foot is going to go into this bucket or your hand is, whether you like it or not. Like, you know, and of course you and I would say, oh, we know this will increase our heart rate variability. This is going to be, be good as somebody who does sit in an ice bath every once in a while for my wellness. So uh, I, I think we hit that other ways. But, you know, I, I want to look at this case and, and I, you know, and maybe we talk about this generally, not this specific individual. But, but you know, so you, you have somebody that that's showing uh, probably some psychological pieces of, of the tra trauma. You talked about his relational, how he felt as a father, how he felt as a husband, you know, how he felt occupationally, like, you know, there, there was that social psychological side of this, obviously the physical side, which was, uh, you know, the, that initial reaction, those wellness pieces. But, but here's somebody, let, let's say you just got this person walking in today. Uh, now that we both have this amazing uh, expert in our life on residence, residence frequency breathing. Um, so how the heck would the breath Help, help this case that, that if this person would practice, whether it's mindfulness, RF rate, uh, you know, an RF rate, uh, learned a lot more about that at the conference. I've been a huge fan of it, really syncing up your breath with your heart rate. Um, that's kind of the math simplification of this, but, you know, really kind of breathing exercises on steroids until I find a better uh, analogy to use for that. So how help me understand from the the physical perspective why would 20 minutes breathing at this magical rf breathing rate um how how would that be a variable to help an individual like the one that you were seeing in the healing process uh, i yes so i want to uh, i i definitely want to answer that because i because that's a in, very important piece but um, but I also want to hit the first part of that, which was the you know some of the psychological piece and how it was affecting his family awesome. and his life, um, and that was uh, you know the what I you know as I said in the presentation um, is the why, mm -hmm. um, why today did this patient come in to see me, and that's the biggest question that I have to ask, uh, especially in the case of a chronic pain situation because. When we talk about chronic pain, you've been in you've been in this discomfort for several years, decades in some cases, right. right? But you chose today as important enough for you to walk through my door. Right. Why? Yeah. And that's the question that we have to ask. What changed between last year and today? What changed between yesterday and today? What changed that it was significant enough for you to finally say, I'm gonna deal with this? Right. And, um, and, and that's, that's the, you know, arguably the biggest thing when it comes to the healing process is they don't really care about the pain, right? He could have dealt with these headaches forever. He was dealing with them already for, you know, three or four years, yeah. um, you know, debilitating headaches, migraines. Um, it, so you've been dealing with it for that long. Obviously those aren't the reason you came in, but what changed? And when we started to dig into that, when we start to, uh, you know, really dig into the patient, it's that the overwhelming letdown 
that he was having uh, with life in general. He was no longer the person that he used to be. He was seeing that. He was no longer able to participate in the things that he loved in life. He was no longer able to be there for his kids and his wife the same way that he used to be able to. And, And as I said, he was so tired of seeing that look on his kids' faces that he was letting them down. Yeah. And I mean, how many times do you have to see that as a father? Uh, how many times do you have to see that before you finally say, you know what, if this is what, you know, I have to change something about what I'm doing. I have to change something about my life. Um, you know, and this isn't just pain, right? I, you know, this is I, what it comes to with, with addiction, with any of that kind of stuff is when do you finally say, you know what, the way that this is going is, is not right. This is mm-hmm. not serving, this is not serving me anymore. Yeah. Um, and in his case, that was, that was it. He said, mm-hmm. I've had enough of letting my kids down. I've had enough of letting my wife down. So now, now he wanted to start that treatment. Now, you know, uh, that's when he finally had enough. And again, it's in the cases like that, it's not the pain that brought them in the door. Yeah. So anyway, um, that, that was, uh, sorry, we, we got deep there for a second. Yeah. 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 I like that. <laughs> but, um, but with the RF breathing, um, so when we talk about resonance frequency breathing, um, what we are talking about is a breath rate at which uh, at which you are most stimulating what we would call the um, the baroreceptor reflex, uh, or essentially the the where our heart rate variability is going to be at its highest, at its pink. So we are seeing our breath in sync with our heart rate. Uh, that's what, that's what we're lining up there. Um, so, uh, and, uh, you know, an un- unshameful plug, uh, our app is, uh, the yeah. only app out there that does a resonance frequency assessment, um, which otherwise you would have to go have done in lab. And, uh, and again, we had this weekend, uh, amazing things happened. Yes. And one of the top researchers in the field came up to us and said, Hey, I tested with your app compared to my lab equipment. And it gave me the exact same frequency. Yeah, yeah, so, we got some huge. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's kind of our coming out party, and uh, to to see how excited folks were about that functionality, which uh, I know uh, our tech folks have busted their butts on over the last six uh, twelve months. So uh, I'll just give a shout out to Ben and Viv uh, on uh, that work because uh, Ina's got a lot of brilliance, but to manifest that in a phone app uh lots of props to uh ben and viv so yes indeed uh they uh they have been uh, workhorses uh yeah. this well really the whole time knowing them yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh but especially as of late yeah um so so when we get into that resonance frequency breathing though what it's doing you're literally training your hrv uh, yeah. and that's what we call it hrv training um, so you're breathing at a slower than typical rate. So, um, so it is somewhere between four and a half and seven and a half breaths per minute, uh, is where, um, or I'm sorry, four breaths per minute to, uh, to seven and a half. Yeah. Don't miss minute. the 4.0 um, people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Team 4.0. <laughs> I, I swear hey, we have hey, the hey. best RF rate, but, uh, I don't have any science to back that up. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm four and a half, not too far behind you. You can aspire. Um, you can aspire to join the team. So, uh, <laughs> one day I'll be that cool. I You're just, in the farm I, league. You're in the farm league. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
uh, you know, I, I, to get to your status, man, I have to grow like six more inches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and Matt is significantly taller than everybody. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for those of you listening. Yes. Um, but um, anyway, I, so you can determine that resonance frequency and, I'm, uh, and it's a 14 minute assessment to, uh, to figure out what your optimal breathing rate is. Um, and once you have figured out what your optimal breathing rate is, then you can do training at that breathing rate for anywhere from uh, two minutes to I believe 30 is like the limit on our app. Um, and personally, I do that uh, once every day, first thing in the morning um, for 20 minutes. Um, actually, it's more like 25 because I do it with, the, with a meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great way to to assist with your meditation, uh, which is also something that you can do on our app. Mm-hmm. This is just yeah. turning into a commercial. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but it is wonderful. Uh, you know, as far as meditation mindfulness, um, it takes it to the next level. It really does. Um, and when you're doing this RF breathing and stimulating, uh, you know, and training that that heart rate variability, these are lasting effects. It's not like you just have this change for this one moment and then, and then you're back to regular life. These are lasting effects. Uh, And we see that, uh, that, uh, that people who are, who are doing this training have this as a, as a lasting effect. And also just doing this breathing, um, you know, especially paired with mindfulness uh, and meditation, uh, you can feel yourself changing in the way, in your outlook on life and everything. Um, You know, the guy cuts you off in traffic and you go, "Eh," as opposed to, you are, you know, uh, it's, um, you literally feel yourself calming down and looking yeah. at life through a different lens. Um, and in the case of somebody, uh, like the car accident guy that we were, that we've been talking about, you know, um, signaling to your body that it is safe, um, signaling to your body that it is, that it is in a, that it can enter that ventral vagal state, um, that right. you can, that you can be calm, that you can let go, that it is okay. Um, that's what you're doing. Yeah, that is a big part of what you're doing with this. So, um, so yeah, and, and uh, as I said in the presentation, unfortunately, I didn't know Eno well enough uh, at the time, or I would have had him doing this as well because it yeah. would have been amazing. Yeah, but, yeah, awesome. I just kind of wanted, uh, as we wrap up here, any any is uh, uh, um, way more of an expert than than I was in the audience. Any, any other insights that you got from your your co presenters? Because uh, it was really an all-star uh, packed uh, session. So uh, I just wondered from your perspective, it's kind of being sandwiched in between these two other brilliant uh, people. And like I said, it was like really my favorite 90 minutes, except for like the 20 minutes I got to talk. And that had nothing to do with your presentation. It's just, I love to talk. So, uh, but it was definitely the, the top in this uh, two hours, uh, that 90 minutes. So I wondered... Uh, if there was any other uh, sort of insights that you had uh, being sandwiched between two other great experts, well, well, first of all, you know, I I think that everybody needs to know that uh, your the talk that you and Ina did was amazing as well, um, and I'm uh, hopeful that we'll get a chance to hop on and uh, and talk about that at some point as well. Um, but I uh, but yes, uh, being sandwiched between uh, Dr. Brad and Dr. Ina uh, was was amazing um now for for brad what i noticed uh you know as a naturopathic doctor was how cool it was i you know and with you know as well um it's how cool it was 
that all three of us coming from coming at the same problem from different angles. Yeah. We all had such a similar overall approach. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was, and that was so awesome to see. And even though we're all in our own separate fields, we all, we all look at this problem so similarly and we even use similar language. I and we yeah. we did not trade slides before. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that's amazing, that. actually, because I, I would have assumed, I would have assumed preparation, even because it flowed that that uh, easily uh, from an audience member's perspective. Yeah, you know, we we all three did. Uh, so we talked about the format of how we would uh, of how we would set up the talk, but we didn't talk specifics about you know what we were going to say or anything like that, and. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just unbelievable um, how much overlap there was uh, coming at it from three totally different perspectives. But again, coming at it from three perspectives that are looking for a root cause yeah. as opposed to treating a problem. Um, and then the fact that Ian and I both picked a, a case that was uh, migraines was also kind of funny. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was amazing and, um, you know, and a bit uh, unfortunate in that regard. I know I, well, Matt, you're, you're never nervous because you, because you talk for a living. Um, but I, but sitting there, I was, I was watching Brad's and I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I also can't focus because I'm thinking about what I'm about to say. And, and then I, and then you get up and then after you talk, you're like in this surreal uh, yeah. cloud and you're like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> Especially but, with that audience. Cause it was not, there were probably, uh, uh, about three to four times more doctorate degrees in that room than the typical room I speak in. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was quite the intimidating room. Yes. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. When it, when you're talking to uh, when you're presenting to the people who created the research that you are presenting uh, that your whole practice is yes. based on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Well, Dave, this was a great topic. I'm, I'm so glad we got a chance to kind of share your perspective uh, with this. And uh, yeah, and we got some exciting announcements coming up. We're trying to get a show with Ina soon. Uh, got some big announcements on our end. I'm going to hold back, uh, delay gratification for talking about that, but we'll see how long that lasts. So uh, uh, we'll be jumping back in your feed uh, soon, but thanks for everybody for joining us. Uh, Heart rate variability, you can find us at HRV uh, or OptimalHRV.com. Um, also on YouTube, if, if you want to see Dave and I talk while uh, you, you listen to us. So uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Dr. Dave, as always, a, a huge pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. <laughs>